0: All right, well good to see you out there this morning and it's great to be in church on this third Sunday in May. We have been in a series called Prove It and we talked already about proving our words and then about proving our love. And this morning we are headed to Romans chapter 12 and we're going to talk today about proving God's will. In life groups this morning we addressed this topic as well and Yeah, we talked about how sometimes God's will seems to many people like a mystery. Like they wonder, well, what is it? If God would just show me what his will is, I would for sure do it. Yeah, and I hope that's the case, and we're going to give you some answers on that this morning. Romans chapter 12. Yeah, this may be familiar to some of you, but we're going to read the first two verses as we get started. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So our question today, what does it mean to prove God's will? And we're going to see this morning in one of the Bible's most famous characters, how together we learn to prove God's will. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless us this morning during this special time of our service together where we go into your word and we discover what you have for each of our lives. Uh, We thank you for uh, the families who are here today and thank you for uh, the babies and the toddlers who will be dedicated at the end of the service today. And we pray that you would just bless us now as we discern what your will would be for us in each of our lives, whether uh, it's for us as individuals or for us as families, even for us as a church, that you would guide us and direct us in what you have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a great deal of evidence in Scripture that God indeed does have a perfect will or a desire for everyone's life, and that that will is good. The Bible says that God has good plans for us. And the God who went to the trouble to design each of our bodies with 75 trillion cells. Isn't that crazy? 75 trillion cells. In each of your cells, this is how intricate it is, every cell has its own strand of DNA that is 3 billion characters long. All right? 3 billion characters long. I just got to thinking about that one day. That's absurd that it's that long. Here's how long it really is. If you were going to read one strand of DNA from your own body, with this most advanced microscope in the world, and you could read one character every second and never stop to eat or sleep or anything, you know how long it would take to read one strand of your own DNA? Ninety-six years, ninety-six years. And that code is in every one of your cells in your body. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's very true. But you know, it's not just physically that we're made that way. Spiritually, we are made fearfully and wonderfully with gifts and abilities so that God can use us in his big picture design. As we just read in Romans 12, the pursuit of God's will starts with presenting our bodies to be used by God. We have to make ourselves available and say, God, I'd be willing to do your will. Jesus has bought us with the price of his own blood. And because of that, we're free to serve God as volunteers. And we're challenged throughout the word of God to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In 1063 B.C., a shepherd boy, was asked by his dad to carry some bread and corn to his brothers who were in the Israeli army. And when the boy arrived at the army encampment, he noticed a big, ugly giant of a man who came out in the valley below. And the giant was challenging the Israelites to send a man out to challenge him. The thing was, there was nobody in the army stepping up to the plate. And the boy became very interested in what was happening. He began to ask some questions to the soldiers who were nearby. What's going to happen to the man who goes out and fights the giant? And who is this ugly guy that he should defy the armies armies of God? And and right about then, uh, his oldest brother arrived on the scene and heard him asking questions about the giant. And uh, this ticked his oldest brother off. And maybe you know how older brothers get annoyed with their siblings. Yeah, and maybe even older sisters sometimes get annoyed with their siblings. It's just a rumor that I've heard. Uh, now, I was the oldest uh, sibling in our house, and I never got annoyed with my little sisters ever, except maybe a few times. Um, but the oldest brother showed up, and he started mocking the kid. What are you doing down here, little fellow? Did you come down to see the big men uh, do what they do? And who'd you leave your pet sheep with? And, and maybe you guessed by now that the, the boy, his name is David. And the giant was named Goliath. I'd like to go back in history this morning and take God's account of this famous battle to help us understand how it is that we prove the will of God for our lives and in our lives. And so if you turn with me back to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we will read a little bit there this morning, a very famous story, but I want you to see the words because they're so important 1 Samuel 17 is the account of David and Goliath. And I doubt if there's anybody here in the room today who has not at least heard the phrase David and Goliath. Okay, it's still a big deal even in 2017. So we go there now, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we start in verse number 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said why camest thou down hither and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness I know thy pride it's another thing oldest siblings are good at calling out pride in their younger siblings and the naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle David said what have I now done is there not a cause and he turned from him To another, and spake after the same manner. The people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So here's our question. How did this teenage boy, who had never experienced battle with soldiers, how did he show up at the battlefront and decide on the spot that he should be the one to go and fight Goliath? Now, this is the essence of our question today. How did David know that he was supposed to volunteer for this mission? And then it attaches to our lives because how do I know when God wants me to volunteer to do something, right? So if we could figure out how David knew what he was supposed to do, maybe we would know what we're supposed to do. And let's talk about it as we get going. The notes are provided in your bulletin. And let's talk first about believing in God's cause. Believing in God's cause. You know, none of the people around him had faith that God could use them to stop Goliath. There was not a soldier in the army who had stepped up and said, you know what, if that giant doesn't shut his mouth, I'm going to shut his mouth for him. They all ran. Every time the guy stepped up in the valley, they all ran. It says that they fled. But young David trusted in the Almighty, and the soldiers had been living in terror. They'd been ready to run every day from the giant. Every time he came and gave a threat, the leaders had no answers that included the king, the king didn't know what to do. And apparently nobody had even thought of taking the issue to God. Isn't that how it is sometimes in our lives? We have these big issues and these circumstances come up, and finally we get to the end of our rope, and we say, you know what? Maybe we should pray. You know, maybe we should do that first. Okay, that's probably where we should go to first, is go to God. But they hadn't really thought of it, and no, nobody really taken that issue up. And so when David started showing some passion for taking the giant down, words spread quickly. And by the way, your passion towards God, God's cause is what leads you to the next step in his will for your life. The things that make you upset inside can lead you to God's will. They really can. Uh, The things that that drive you, the things that you cry about, and the things you laugh about, and the things you dream about, and the things that you're discontented about, can drive you to do something for God. And so here this young boy is, and he just couldn't stand that that giant down there was mocking his God. It just really ticked him off. He was so upset about it. You ever have sometimes rise up in you something where you you kind of have something happen and you don't even realize you did it and you don't know why. And we were, one time when the kids were really little, we were at Arby's. And we were sitting there having a, a roast beef sandwich and we, our whole family could eat for $5. Uh, back, those were the days. I'm telling you, those were the days. Now we can't even walk into a fast food place without dropping 30. Uh, but we would get the uh, five for five and uh, I would eat two, and my wife would eat one, and each of the boys would eat one. And there we go. And we we're sitting at Arby's, and I think this is before Autumn was even born. And we we're eating, minding our own business. And these two guys behind us just started blankety-blank, blank, 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 and talking about God. And I just all of a sudden turned around and said, hey, there's some little boys in here who don't want to hear God's name in vain. It got quiet. And then I turned back around and thought, what in the world did I just do? (laughs) Where did that come from? I had no idea that I was going to do that. And I think that's kind of how David was. David heard this guy talking smack about his God and about his country and he said, that's enough. That's all I can stand and I can stand no more. And he didn't necessarily pop spinach, but he did take out his sling, right? So Here David is, he's got this holy discontent and it rises up in him and it shows him and it directs him toward God's will for his life. Most of the soldiers, as he's talking, they thought it was a joke that this kid who had come from the countryside wanted to fight Goliath. And certainly his brothers thought he was not up to the task. But word finally got to the king and he sent for David. And one look at David and King Saul said, you can't go fight the giant. You're just a young man. I want to go down to verse number 34 now. David said unto Saul, My servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth, and when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. My servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto him, Go, and the Lord be with thee. You know, God had allowed David to have some experiences in his life with the lion and with the bear to shape him for this moment in time. David had absolutely no idea any of this was on the horizon when he left home that day. But he believed in God's cause, and that's where it starts. Sometimes, believing in God's cause intersects with a passion that God places in your life, and all of a sudden, you know what God's will is for you. I remember reading uh, the story of how some of the most famous charity groups in the world have gotten started. Uh, Compassion International, and, and a Samaritan's Purse, and some different ones. And I remember uh, years ago reading the story of, of one of the groups that got started. Uh, a fellow went on a trip when he was 18 years old to Africa. And he was kind of, uh, that was back in the days where uh, you barely needed a passport to travel. I mean, this is the 19, late 1950s, 60s. And you could go and just hang out in other countries, and there were no repercussions from it. And as he walked down the streets in Africa, there were these kids who had no food, no shelter, no shoes, no nothing. And he, he was so bothered by it. It took him aback so much that when he came back to the United States, he devoted his entire life to changing that fact and to getting those kids some bread and clean water And that group's been around for 50 years now, and they're doing tremendous work. You know, sometimes God does that in your life, where there's something in your neighborhood that you can't stand anymore. There's something at your kid's school that you can't stand anymore. And it's not you being nitpicky, and it's not you being irritated. There's something real there. There's a problem that needs addressed. And sometimes God is sending you the message, hey, I want you in on this. But you have to believe in God's cause. You have to believe that God has a will and that he has something that he wants you to do. That's where it really starts. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and if you had to be honest, you have never personalized God's will. And you could not honestly say, I would be willing and ready to do whatever God wants me to do because I know God has something for me to do that's unique and purposeful. There are a lot of people who see God as just the man upstairs and kind of as a third-party or wheel, not wheelchair, rocking chair God. Wheelchair God probably would be different than a rocking chair God. I don't know what happened. Cole's uh, tongue, tongue medicine got to me here this morning. But you know, sometimes we don't personalize who God is. And we don't understand that he has a legitimate, authentic plan for my life. He has something for me to do. I have to believe in his cause. Then we get to verse 38. I want you to see the second part of the message. Starting with what you know. Starting with what you know. Verse 38 Saul armed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. What it means is David still looked like a kid. Not only was he short in stature, he hadn't shaved yet. Okay, he had a fair countenance. His cheeks were red like grandma had just pinched him. Okay, he, he was just a kid, and he's out there, and he's walking toward this, this giant that's so big, and his, uh, his armor's so big that he has a guy standing holding his shield for him in front of him. And, uh, and David is working through all this, and I just think of it. Saul tried to put his armor on David. You ever dress your kid up in a fireman's suit when he's a kid? And then take his picture? And and the suit just looked like it did not fit at all. The helmet went down below his nose, you know, and uh, a sagging off of his body. That's what David looked like in Saul's armor. It didn't fit. The helmet was huge. The coat of mail was hanging off him. And David put the sword on. And then he told Saul, I can't go with these. Look again at verse 39. I want you to see the phrase, for I have not proved them. I have not proved them. And he went back to what he knew, a staff in one hand and a sling in the other. Saul's armor didn't fit God's will for David's life. And listen to me, God's will for other people won't fit you right either. You have to be exactly the person God has designed you to be. And if you try to be somebody else, you won't beat the Giants. God has made you extra special with a unique personality, a unique background, a unique gifting. There's nobody like you anywhere. And God wants to start using you right where you are. A lot of times, people try to buy into somebody else's success story. Right? And I'm telling you, in every field of life, just about now in 2017, you could go to a seminar every month on how to do what you do. Right? You could. And it's even in the church world. In the church world, we get more magazines and seminar uh, coupons and flyers than you could possibly imagine. I told Cole the other day, we could go learn how to do what we do by going somewhere every week to learn how to do what we do. we really could. But the truth is, Until you decide that God made you special and he wants you to do it the way he's made you to do it, then you're never going to be able to follow God's will. Are there tips we can learn from other people? You bet there are. You bet there are. Should we reinvent the wheel, everything? We should not do that. But if the armor doesn't fit, it doesn't fit for a reason. God made you special. God has big plans for your life and there's nobody like you. And so we think about this, why did God advance David? Well, it's cuz he believed in God's cause when nobody else did. And he was willing to walk into a field against an armored giant with five stones and a sling. Cuz that's what he knew. And God can start to use you right where you are. He really can. The question is Will you let him? Now, David, he, he was one in a thousand or one in 10,000 or one in 50,000 people who actually was willing to let God work through him and do this. So many of us, boy, if we had started to walk down in that valley with only a sling and five stones, can you imagine how frightened you'd be? Here's this giant coming towards you, massive, massive. And especially if you're as tall as I am, really massive, like double my height. And here he comes with all this stuff and he's walking towards you. Yeah, man, how are you going to respond? And so David started to really understand what God had for his life on this day because he was willing to believe in God's cause, because he was willing to start right where he was. Then I want you to see this next part, experiencing the ultimate motive. Experiencing the ultimate motive. You guys might know this part of the passage or read some of this. 41, verse 41. Philistine came on and drew near unto David. Man that bare the shield went before him. We read that part. Verse 43, the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? Thou comest to me with staves. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh out of the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine. And I've always imagined, and I, I think there's going to be a replay in heaven yeah, that we all get to see this, and yeah, get to hear David's voice. Do you remember, uh, if you were a man, do you remember when you were going through puberty and your voice was changing? Right? And, and I've always wondered if David's voice was still changing, right, when he's saying this. And it's kind of going up and down and all over the place. And he's trying to speak forcefully. And he says, uh, he says to verse 45, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord Deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. Take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Now, don't miss this next phrase because this is what it's all about. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The ultimate motive is that all the people of the earth may know that there's a God. And if we asked today, 2017, May 21st, what is the ultimate motive for doing God's will? Still the same the ultimate motive is that God might be glorified. Worship is the absolute best reason to serve and follow God. Glorifying Him fulfills the great commandment of loving God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, and strength. So this teenage boy, youngest in his family, keeper of sheep, has his story come to a crossroads with God's will, and everything changed. See, God's will is the place where His story intersects with your story. And where anything accomplished is for His glory. I have to warn you about this. If what is done brings glory to you instead of God, it's not God's will. Right? Catch that? If, If what you do in pursuit of God, if you say it's for God, but it doesn't bring him glory, then it's really all about you. Here's the neat thing, though. When you live in God's will to glorify the Father in heaven, God brings attention to your story. Now, how many of you think we would know the story of David if he had never killed Goliath and become king of Israel? We would not know his story. There's no way. But when he believed in God's cause and moved ahead with the desire that the whole earth would know God, God abundantly rewarded him. In fact, if you read on, uh, women started singing songs about him. All right? There was a song called David, David on the top 40 list. All right? they, they were playing the lyre the and the lute and whatever they could do, and they were singing about how David has slain his 10,000s. Yeah, and as Simon and Garfunkel got in on it. The, the old Israeli Simon and Garfunkel. Um, I'm just teasing. You should read the chapter for yourself. So, but 3,000 years later, people still know his story. Now I got, I got why only five people giggled when I said that. Because most of the people in here don't even know who Simon and Garfunkel are. So we're going back 3,000 years. We're only going back 30 years. It doesn't matter. They're clueless. So uh, that's how it is. Uh, but David, think about it. He made his story about God's story. And that's the pursuit of God's will. It's no longer about me. It's God, what do you want me to do? And then I'll do it to bring honor to you. I want to close today with this last part. I think this is so huge. When we discover David accepting new opportunities, as we continue in the steps toward proving that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We see something incredible that happens at the end of this story. So here we, verse number 48. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. You see this kid running? He's running toward the giant. And David put his hand in his bag and took fence a stone and slang it. And smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead. And he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof. It slew him and cut off his head therewith. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. We talked earlier about how David had declined Saul's armor. He said, I can't use these, I haven't proved them. He said, I don't want this sword, it doesn't fit me. Now if you read Bible history, uh, Saul was a tall man. In fact, Now, when he was brought in to be king, he was head and shoulders above all the people. Right? So that's a pretty big guy. He was tall. But Goliath made him look like a little kid. Right? So Saul was big. Goliath was massive. Goliath was estimated to be nine feet, nine inches tall. That's just tall. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Can you imagine this? So Today, Saul's sword may have weighed about five pounds or so. That's what most ancient swords weighed, was about five pounds. As we've discussed, though, uh, David set it aside. It's unproven. I can't use this. It doesn't fit me. Check this, though. After knocking Goliath down with a stone on the forehead, David didn't have any sword. So he went and he grabbed Goliath's sword. Here's a conservative estimate of Goliath's sword. Okay? They say at the lower end that Goliath's sword weighed 50 pounds. Right? 50 pounds. It's hard for me anymore to pick up a bag of dog food. Right? That weighs less than Goliath's sword. Unless you get the massive, big, huge one at Costco. Can you imagine this? Kid, he goes over. He knocks the Goliath down. He falls down flat on his face. He grabs the sword, 50 pounds, out of the sheath, and he lops his head off with it. That just blows me away. Minutes before, a five-pound sword was uncomfortable. And now, a 50-pound sword was going to work just fine. Here's my question. What happened in between? Here's what happened. Maybe it's happened in your life. God's will was expanded. God's will grew in David's life. David accepted new opportunities. As you take next steps in God's will for your life, when you're proving God's purpose for you, you're going to encounter doors that you've never walked through before. And God will provide. God's not going to send you to do something that he hasn't enabled you to do. He's going to provide for what he's guided you to do. When David needed a sword, God had already provided one. It was the giants. David, get that sword right there. So here's today's big truth. You never know when the next step of God's will for your life might be revealed. You never know when it's going to happen. As an 80-year-old man, Moses walked in the desert one day. He had no idea that he would see a bush that wouldn't stop burning and God's will would be revealed in his life. We talked this morning in Life Group about Abram, 75 years old, minding his own business, lives in a place... Ur of the Chaldees, an ancient city. He's lived there his whole life. And God came to him somehow. We don't even really know how because there was no Bible and uh, there was nothing for him to go by. And God told him, leave your country. And he packed everything and left. He had no idea why or what. And as David left his sheep and carried goods to his brothers, he had no idea that day that God's will would be revealed in his life. And if you're available, God will reveal his next step to you, and it could be any day. It could be when you're 8 years old. It could be when you're 19 years old. It could be when you're in your th- in your 30s. Uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth had John the Baptist, uh, most historians say when they were in their 60s. Right? Uh, life uh, sometimes does not prepare you for what you think God's will to be. You have to open your heart, and if you're available, God will reveal your next step. That's what today's faith challenge is really all about. Are you willing to prove God's will by walking through doors already opened? See, here's here's where our dilemma is. We sometimes say, God, if you would show me what the next step is in my life, or you'd show me what your big picture will is, I would do it. And I think sometimes God's up there with a megaphone saying, I already have. God's already showed us some things he wants us to do. Listen, don't worry about the next step. If you haven't taken the step, you already know. Okay, don't worry about what's going to happen years from now if you haven't followed God's will for today. God is always good to his word. He will reveal what's next if you'll just be faithful to do what he's already shown. And maybe God's already touched your heart about taking a next step. It could be that your next step is to start a relationship with Jesus, or to be baptized. It could be about becoming a, a church member, or about signing up for starting point. Maybe it's a, about having a personal daily walk with God, or joining a life group. Maybe it's about committing to serve in the local church, or about starting one-on-one discipleship. Every Sunday, we have somebody at the next, next, next steps table in the lobby to answer questions about each one of those steps. And I hope you'll stop by because God has a will for your life. It's good and acceptable and perfect, and it's just for you. And it intersects with his big-picture story. The question is, are you willing to prove God's will by taking the next step? You know, back in the fall at our mission banquet, we introduced a, a trip to the Dominican Republic. And there were people who were there that day who had no idea. They didn't have any idea when they woke up that morning that they would commit to go on a Dominican mission trip. They just had no idea. But when it was introduced, something in their heart said, hey, you ought to do this. God somehow touched them. And now, in just a couple weeks, there's going to be a group from Centennial going to minister to children and orphanages and groups in the Dominican we're so excited about it. There was an email that went out earlier this week, and there's some paperwork for you about things you can do to help that group. Certainly pray for them every day. Uh, there's going to be a special offering the next couple of Sundays uh, for the mission that we're going to. It's not for anybody's trip. It's not to get anybody there. Uh, people have raised that money on their own. Uh, it's to go toward the mission while we're there. And it, there are some other things that you can give and help with. Uh, Some backpacks and school supplies. And even if you have some big suitcases that you want to get rid of, uh, there are some ways that you can help. And we just want you to be praying for that team as they take that next step in God's will. And here's what's so interesting. In that group, there are people from every age spectrum. There's a young man who hasn't even graduated from high school. There's some people who are in adulthood, but not extremely far in adulthood, There are some people who have been adults for quite a while. And then there's brother Dan Shara. And uh, he's kind of at the top end of our spectrum. But he's going to, I'm just teasing Dan. I'm so excited he's going. God doesn't choose his will for us based on any age or stage of life. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. God still has something he wants you to do. He does. God has a plan for your life. And if you would come to him as we close in prayer today and say, God, I don't know what it is, but if you show me the next step, I'll take it. Let's pray together. Father.